Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. When I went to see Space Jam last week in Silver Spring, I took my son and a friend, his friend, and of course, being a teenager, they wanted to sit one seat over from me. So we left a seat open between myself and my son. And like 25 minutes into the movie, these two young men came in and one of them sat on the other side of my son's friend. One of them sat between me and my son. Neither of them had masks on. And the kid was on Instagram for half the movie. And I'm uh, like, this is why I don't need to come here for this. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Here we are with the latest twists and turns in the world of entertainment. And Lou Katz, our producer, is in the control room twisting the dials. Yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm twisting, twisting them. in the wind. Right. And I am so happy to welcome uh, two favorites uh, as our guest today. First, the uh, nationally known uh, critic of National Public Radio and a longtime friend, Bob Mondello. And Bob, hey, so good to be better. here. <laughs> and uh, from RogerEbert.com and the founder of the Washington Area of Film Critics Association, author of The Movie Mom, which is more relevant than ever, our dear friend Nell Minow. And uh, Nell Minow and Bob Mondello, thanks so much for being here. Good to be here. And I think we are interested. Let's start with Nell. What are you watching these days? Well, I am thrilled that Ted Lasso is back. Uh, I'm uh, a little agonized because like a lot of people, I discovered it after all of the episodes were already on in the first season and I was able to blitz right through it. And I think it's very mean of them to make us wait a week for each episode now, but I couldn't be happier that it continues to live up to its wonderful, wonderful first season with great characters and a wonderful message about kindness and forgiveness and heart and uh, a romantic couple to root for. I just couldn't be happier about Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. I'm also loving Schmigadoon. Now that one I have seen all the episodes of already and I'm now watching it one week at a time with my husband. It is as the uh, people behind it said to me in an interview, a love letter to the great classical musicals of all time, the Music Man, Oklahoma, carousel you know really pretty much everything except for fiddler on the roof that'll have to be season two so schmigadoon um, and how do, how does that uh, roll out tell me more one, well it's two, it was two episodes the first week and then it's one episode at a time about two doctors from modern day life who i just want to say as somebody who's been in a relationship for over half a century if your wow. relationship is struggling the thing to do is not to go on a camping trip together but that's what they decide to do leave me alone all i said is we should bail on the hike i didn't mean us in general i just meant the hike you don't want to make a relationship better a relationship is fine they end up in a magical land that is inside a musical where as they say if people feel too strongly to talk they sing if they feel too strongly to sing they dance we're in an actual musical please god no everybody And they've got a fabulous bench of Broadway stars uh, to do the singing and the dancing. My favorite uh, number of all was in the current episode. And uh, I just loved it. So that's that's Schmigadoon. Now who, who's carrying that? Where is that? That is on uh, Apple TV Plus, just like Ted Lasso. It's worth signing up just for, for both of them. Uh, there you go. You know, Apple TV Plus doesn't have the quantity 
that Netflix and Amazon Prime do, but boy, they've just hit it out of the park so many times. I'm really impressed with them. And then the oh. other thing I want to mention, which I know Bob likes too, and which I'm paying tribute to with my background here is Nine Days, uh, which uh, I absolutely love. I think one of the great, great moments in the history of American literature has got to be the ending of Our Town and the beautiful speech that Emily gives about being grateful for everything in life. And this movie hit me with exactly that same feeling that we spend a lot of time thinking about what we don't have and what we want other people to think we do have, but we don't spend enough time just being grateful that we're here. The speech at the end where they quote Walt Whitman had me in tears and I just yeah. haven't stopped thinking about it. So I just- uh, the, the wonderful thing about that movie, I this, this is coming out, I, I, it's out in New York and LA, but I don't think it's anywhere else yet, right? Until Friday, right? Yeah, um, it's a it's a wonderful picture, and it's got Zassie Bates in it, and oh my God, she's so wonderful. I mean, I I guess I've seen her in a bunch of things now without really registering her in quite the way I did for this. Well, both but, she and Winston Duke, you know, first came to our attention in very heightened superhero movies. Right. You know, she's in Deadpool. That was the first thing I saw her in. Mm -hmm. And to see the wonderful, subtle, incredibly human work that they do in this movie is just a pure delight. Yeah. We is it theatrical only? Yeah, it's, a, it's only theatrical for, for right now. Mm -hmm. This is a movie about uh, a sort of an otherworldly bureaucrat. Um, who is auditioning souls for life on Earth. You are being considered for the amazing opportunity of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. How long is this process? If you make it until the end, nine days. And it sounds in that respect to be a bit like the Pixar movie Soul, right? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can yeah. sort of see a, a kinship there. But it goes in a in much more philosophical and interesting directions. And is, is, there's a bit of Plato in there. There's a lot of Sartre. There's there's plenty of Walt Whitman. Um, it's a it's a really lovely and complex and and interesting movie that reminded me of a whole bunch of other movies. And I one of them is Defending Your Life, which and I Afterlife mm -hmm. also Afterlife, Afterlife the right. Korean film. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, I, I I think it's just a, a kind of a a, a lovely movie. I, I I wish I had thought of before I wrote it the uh, the our town connection. You're absolutely right. That is what how that hits you at the end. And it's a first time film from this writer director, uh, which yeah. is very exciting. He is from Brazil by way of Los Angeles, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's now living in Los Angeles, and he is of Asian extraction. He's a, a, a remarkable filmmaker, young. And if this is his first movie, wow, am I waiting for his second? Um, I, it's it's. It, it's terrific. Now, what else are you uh, excited about these days, Bob? Excited uh, <laughs> is a term I'm having trouble with this summer. Um, I, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't dislike Annette. Um, it's an interesting uh, new picture. It's opening, I think, later this week, right? Um, and it's a, uh, it's the film that opened the um, the Cannes Film Fest. Mm -hmm. And it's got music by the Sparks Brothers, and it is a musical, a sung through almost operatic um, musical with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. I just met someone. She looked at me and smiled. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me, that's a little more puzzling. Wildly different um, performers uh, who are I guess in love, although they, they, they were presented to us as if they're in, in love at the beginning, 
um, and it seems less and less so as time goes on. But it's it's a very interesting and peculiar movie that is not entirely satisfying, but has its moments. That's for sure. I mean, when when Marion Cotillard gives birth to a puppet, I thought, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of where they lost me. Um, I loved the first half of the movie. Uh, I would divide it into BP and AP before puppet and after puppet. <laughs> Uh, because the puppet plays a really important part in the movie and it goes into dancer in the dark territory uh and yeah so adam driver plays this very provocative stand-up comic and he's terribly is, funny by the way i mean not even a little bit but the audience loves him they love right. him so much they break into song about it yeah. uh but you know i admire its ambition without ever wanting to see it again <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I did a piece about the um, the Sparks Brothers movie um, not too mm -hmm. long ago, mm -hmm. um, which I, I I was sort of discovering them. I feel guilty that I didn't, I mean, you know, they've been around for, for five decades and I somehow missed them. But um, I found their music kind of compelling and interesting. Um, there are bits of it that are kind of wonderful. The thing is that this is, it's an opera sung by people who are not trained vocalists. So it's, it, it sounds sort of pop and the orchestrations are, are sort of pop and it's, it's fine in spots. It has its moments. Are we allowed to talk about respect yet? No, yes. I mean, are you, are you sure we're, we're not violating their, uh, their embargoes? I think respect, does respect open Friday? No, it's next in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, well, this, have to have this me back on because I have lots of thoughts about respect. Um, not disrespectful, I, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there was a wonderful documentary on uh, on her, the Franklin, yeah, Aretha uh, Franklin, and I think it would be tough to uh, beat Amazing Grace, yeah. I think that's fair, but if we can't talk about it, we can't talk about it. I just don't, I don't know when the embargo is. I haven't seen anything about the movie yet, so. Well, uh, now you know, you've brought up two terrific films or two interesting films that are theatrical only mm. and so let me just throw that out again uh what do we make of that especially now that um masks are required again in dc and in some states and should be required in other states where are we with uh, movies and theaters i suspect that the you mean in, in terms of, of business and whether they're going to be able to survive in that kind of thing i well, i I don't, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I have trouble trying to persuade people. I, I'm not, I'm never trying to persuade people to go to the movie theater right now. Mm -hmm. um, now, in fairness, I haven't seen a whole lot that I was jumping up and down and wanted people to go to movie theaters to see. But um, I, I think it's, it would be irresponsible to push too hard for people to go out when they're not ready. Um, and I think the world isn't quite ready, um, in, in, unless you're in Vermont. I mean, apparently in Vermont, it's safe, right? Because uh, they, they achieved <laughs> herd immunity there. But I, they, um, I think as a realistic thing, movie theaters, I, I talked to some movie theater owners um, a, a few months ago for, for a piece for NPR. And it was about when do you think theaters are going to reopen? And a couple of them said, well, we're hoping by summer, but it's more likely by October. Right back then they were saying that. And so we're watching everybody get excited about movies like uh, F9 and Black Widow opening to record for the pandemic box office grosses. But as a practical matter, the folks who run theaters knew that this wasn't going to be, you know, the home stretch yet. 
And so they're looking to October. I got to say, NPR keeps moving back when we're going to be allowed in our office, right? I mean, mm -hmm. originally it was going to yeah. be fifth of July, and then it was going to be September, and now it's October, which I, I am taking to mean possibly by the end of the year, right? I mean, because, because things keep sliding. And we're pretty well vaccinated as a group. We are, you know, just being careful. I think, I think realistically it's going to be hard for people to get comfortable with going to theaters, even though of, of all the things you can do indoors during a pandemic, they may be the, one of the safest, right? Because everybody's facing in the same direction. Uh, the, the new, uh, these, these armchairs they have us in now with cup holders and, and recliners <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff are already three feet apart. You know? So as a practical matter, and, and you know, there's, there's a, a big distance before the, for the next row in front of us and a wall in most mm -hmm. theaters that I've been in recently. So as a practical matter, you're, you're pretty socially distanced even without a mask in those places and the ventilation is spectacular. So with that said, I think it's probably safer to be there than a lot of places. On the other hand, it's hard to argue that people should be there. And you now have to get I was there. Remembering. You have to get there. And that means what are you going to do? Go on the metro? Are you good? You know, you're going, you're, you're going to be passing by people all the way there. You're going to be in the lobby. You're going to have people around you get their masks off who are eating popcorn. I think that it's wise for people to be extra, extra cautious right now. Um, it seems such a disappointment because we really felt that it was within our grasp. But I think, generally speaking, you know, F9 is not worth risking your life over. Definitely. Not. <laughs> I'm remembering Nell as the movie mom, yeah. which is one of your first big successes of many. And it seems to me now that the, uh, the majority of films that are in theaters are films that uh, appeal to teenagers. Mm -hmm. that they need a movie mom again. <laughs> and is that what's happening to the movie business? Is this how it's going to shape out? You know, we've talked about this before, Arch. Overwhelmingly, ticket buyers are between the ages of 15 and 25 anyway, mm -hmm. even before the pandemic. And then there is what, forgive me, Bob, I call the NPR crowd that shows up for... <laughs> I, I assume this is a very flattering comment you're about. It is. I, I, myself, I include myself in that. But you see a lot of like NPR, you know, PBS tote bags among that crowd and, and, and a lot of gray hair. And those are the people who show up for the nine days and the awards contenders and the independent films and the international films. But generally speaking, in terms of just the big box office films, particularly with the shrinking almost down to nothing window between theatrical release and being able to see it at home f9 is coming to mm -hmm. streaming almost instantaneously then you're you know you're still talking about teenagers what's the difference between teenagers and everybody else they don't have another place to be with each other you know they we can be in our homes and we can have our friends over to our homes they want to go out and, and they also like to see movies more than once which is great for the box office so i don't think that's changing very much the big blockbusters are going to continue to pull in that crowd. They're not going to pull in the tote bag crowd. Um, those people uh, can. Those people are patient. They can wait a couple of months to see Nine Days on uh, Netflix. You know, I, the other thing. Let's let's talk about the safety issue for a second because I think people people have a, a sort of a misguided idea about what movie theaters are like midweek, right? I mean, if you're talking well, about good, yeah, a a blockbuster movie. 
it's doing a lot of business on Friday and Saturday nights at two shows, right? Mm -hmm. At the 7.30 and the 9.30 show. Mm -hmm. And it's not likely to be doing very much on a Tuesday. And if you go to a theater and you and there are seven people in the theater, it's mm -hmm. not hard to socially distance. And if you're not going to a uh, you know to something on a Friday or a Saturday night, you're likely not to experience a crowded theater, even for the very biggest movies. So well, that, right. and that's in normal times. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's probably less. So as a practical matter, I think if if you decide you want to go to see a movie. It's fine to do it now, and you're probably going to get all kinds of benefits from from the theater, which is going to be ecstatic to see you there, and is likely to <laughs> offer you refreshments and all kinds of other things. That's I right, mean, Adam Aaron at AMC. He's got all that money that poured in on his head from, 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 from yes. the GameStop crowd, and he's got nothing to do but spend it on the on the customers. Right. So I think I think realistically, it's not you should not be afraid of going to a movie theater except possibly on a Friday and Saturday night, let other people deal with that. And then you go when it's when, it, when you're comfortable. I, I haven't, I, I've been to a bunch of theaters so far this year and, and not a bunch, like five um, since, since the pandemic started. And I haven't ever felt like I was close to people, even when there, it was an invited crowd that they had at the place. And partly that's a control thing by the theater. They're not filling up. But partly it's because of the way people are being responsible about watching movies right now. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you both. Can you enjoy nine days and Annette as much at home streamed as uh, in a theater? No, I, I am a big, big, big advocate for the theatrical experience. There is no way that you can watch a movie at home without answering the phone, checking your email, you know, it, it's it's just an interrupted experience, no matter how diligent you try to be. I like to see the movie the way the director wanted you to see it. I agree. On the other hand, Nell is a popular person who is distracted by phone calls and emails all the time. I'm not. <laughs> so that I can actually watch things through at home without much trouble. I, I, the, I, I tell you, I saw Nine Days in a Theater. These are, these are not pictures that are like uh, say Black Widow or F9 that rely on a certain scale to work, right? And and so I think it's arguable that those movies could be seen at home without enormous diminishment. I am not arguing that people should do that. I think it's always better. To, I, I agree with now wholeheartedly. It's much better to see movies in a theater, just as it's much better. Listen, it's much better to see theater in a theater. I one of the frustrations for me lately is that there are all these theatrical endeavors. Um, from Hamilton to uh, what was that thing about um, uh, uh, the Heights? Oh, in, well, not I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking the the uh, all the the little video presentations they're doing from people's apartments. Who's the guy uh, who did the thing about Barbara Streisand's uh, underground um, uh, oh, shopping mall thing? Uh, Michael Urry. Yeah, because um, that was lovely and it was really cool to see. But oh my God, in the theater. That was, well, I, I actually saw that one in the front it. row in the theater. Yeah, I, 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 that was an amazing experience. Spectacularly great. Yeah, but, but and the only way to see it now is to see it in this truncated, not truncated, but but sort of abortive form because it's uh, it you're not getting the theatrical experience when you're watching theater. Well, I, I want to say something about that, which is that I have loved the way that Broadway performers 
have made the most of what they have to work with. And Ratatouille the musical, for example, was absolutely adorable. Mm -hmm. And I have bought several cameos from Broadway oh. performers uh, to greet my parents on their 72nd wedding anniversary. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I know, and, and other members <laughs> of my family. And I love the way that they are adapting, you know, they're performers, they are adapting whatever's in their apartment and they make it work. My, my brother-in-law is a huge fan of Town, and uh -huh. I got one of those stars from Town to play the violin for him. Oh, and wow. it, he just uh -huh. went nuts. <laughs> now, Bob, I want to reveal uh, your background because I think it plays into this conversation. I'm terrible. And just remind people <laughs> that originally you were a promotion guy for a chain of movie theaters in oh, Washington. I've always guilty. loved that about you. Yeah, I plead guilty. I It's one of the reasons. You pop popcorn? <laughs> I didn't actually pop it if I could avoid it. I, the, 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 the smell of that butter flavored. Yeah. <laughs> That they put on it still makes me slightly nauseous. I the 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 experience of of being a publicist for movies for what was it, eleven years I think I used to pitch you when you were on. I, the, uh, yeah, I would get a call from you about uh, whatever. Hey, I got a new movie. It's, it's called Harold the Key Paul. College Park. Yeah, um, and those I you know that was that was a very different sort of experience, but it it did lead me to understand what theater owners are going through and what theater mm -hmm. you know theater employees are going through and it's one of the reasons that that i i just sort of bristle when i when i see people making assumptions about theaters that aren't real and you know i that's that's the thing i was saying about a crowded theater is not my my boss paul roth once told me that he wanted me to think of a theater as a big dark empty room attached to a popcorn stand <laughs> right because because exhibitors film exhibitors make their money at the popcorn stand they right. give their money from the tickets to the to the studio so he wanted me to think of it in those terms and i thought that was a very smart way of looking at it but the emphasis there is empty right for the most part a theater sits empty and in fact we used to find ways to rent theaters to various groups mm -hmm. churches to uh, to groups that just wanted to have meetings um, all the time uh, because we, you know, it's a it's a great place to do a presentation, of course, but also because it's sitting there empty for most of the day, mm -hmm. um, and it it just makes sense. So, and that's true even with the with the multiplexes that have screenings going on during the day. Uh, a lot of those theaters are not full. I mean, a lot of them are just flat out empty. The and I might add that the uh, Roth Silver Spring West on georgia avenue now is indeed a church right <laughs> if they're yeah. still meeting there i i'm not sure i don't think any of the spaces are still exist for those theaters it's a it's a shame that may, yeah it may you, be gone you, now you remember when this this town had uh the kb cinema chain and uh -huh. the uh and the circle uh chain and roth and they were all gobbled up um by by big uh, conglomerates out there, the General Cinema Group, which was later gobbled by, I think, Lowe's and AMC, and uh, you know they they just one by one they kind of disappeared. But in the old days, each of those theater chains had its own personality, and you went to see a certain kind of movie with the KB folks and a different kind of movie with us at Roth. Um, and uh, I kept trying to make us as classy as uh, the Circle folks. <laughs> 
So <laughs> you, those that was great, uh, a great time. Yeah. Uh, we may as well mention uh, Scarlett Johansson, who has sued Disney over their uh, release of Black Widow. It's theatrical and now it's uh, on uh, Disney Plus. Marvel is so intertwined with Disney now. But I, yeah, I, that's a, I, Nell, do you have a feel for that? Everything I'm reading is, well, she's I not- I do, it's kind of a, I, I, let me just be a lawyer for a second, uh, since we're talking about our past. Um, it's it's a slam dunk. They, they have an email exchange with her where they specifically guarantee her a theatrical only release and her take is contingent in part on box office numbers. And so she's got an extremely strong case and I have zero patience for anybody who says, oh, Scarlett Johansson is beautiful and rich. She should just give it up. You know who else is beautiful and rich? Disney executives, they don't make <laughs> money either. And, uh, and she's the one, she produced the film. She starred in the film. Ooh. She did the work. She's the reason people are buying tickets or not buying tickets and watching it at home. And they specifically guaranteed her that it would be theatrical only. So they're, uh, you know, I know that Disney famously never settles litigation, but they have got no case here. Oh, that's really interesting because I had been reading that it was the other way around, that, that her contract itself didn't call for an exclusive but she had an exchange of emails. That's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I remember to save my email. See, you folks who get a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can get 25% off any purchase at Brooks Brothers if I do it <laughs> the next 48 hours. Speaking of purchases and 25% off, uh, Lou Katz hosts us on Hound Radio, which is uh, a great internet radio station. And Lou, tell us all about it. Well, we're giving away tickets to uh, a great show. Uh, Bethesda Blues and Jazz Supper Club is reopening now. You know, they've sat out during the pandemic. And if you're into R&B and Earth, Wind & Fire, check this out. If you love the music of Earth, Wind & Fire... Our message. Hound Radio welcomes In Gratitude, an amazing Earth, Wind, and Fire tribute band to the Bethesda Blues and Jazz Supper Club Sunday night, August 22nd. In Gratitude is a 14-member ensemble with talented musical performers, including four lead vocalists, a horn section, keyboards, guitar, bass, drums, and percussion. They'll perform many of Earth, Wind, and Fire's hits. Go to houndradio.com and register to win your free tickets. The Bethesda Blues and Jazz Supper Club is proud to host this nostalgic journey through the past, and you can be there with the soul-filled and funkified Hound Radio. I'm interested these days in the idea of the 60-hour story, which I think really The Wire started. You know, I, I used to watch The Wire uh, episodically, and then somebody gave me the DVD of all five seasons, and I binged it. And now we are in this, uh, this era of binging. I was a fan of the series Bosch, uh, which has gone on for seven seasons. Has that crossed either of your threshold on Amazon okay. Prime? You know, it's tribute, L.A. detective. It's semi-nourishment watching 
And I went back and watched all seven seasons and I got a better sense of the series. So what do we think of the 60 hour binge versus uh, the two hour movie? I think an awful lot of two hour movies, uh, two and a half hour movies seem a lot longer than the 60 hour yeah. binge. Yeah. Uh, it's I, it's in, true. In, in some senses, it's harder to sit for two and a half hours um, without distractions. And I mean, with a, with a long binge, you always have the end of an episode where you can pause, right? With a movie, you're stuck. And I, you know, I, there are an awful lot of movies that at, at the two hour mark, I'm looking at my watch thinking, what the hell? That was me with Annette and the puppet. Yeah. 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 And what I was it? Not... You were talking about Schmigadoon. Uh, yeah. Uh, that you don't like waiting a week yeah, at a time. Schmigadoon, I actually did binge Schmigadoon because I was interviewing the people behind it. And so they sent me all six episodes, but each one mm. of them is about a half an hour. So that was like a that was like going to a Broadway musical. Mm. And uh, I did see that all in a day and a half and absolutely loved it. I don't think I see myself ever, you know, one of the things I've learned about myself in the pandemic is I always said to myself, gee, if I'm ever at home and in reasonably good health, I'm going to watch The Wire because I hear it's really great. I don't think it's in me to do that. I did do uh, Schitt's Creek during the pandemic. That's about as much as I, I see myself doing. I don't see myself immersing in a intense, complex drama that goes more than two hours. Uh, I think I'd rather watch other classic movies. You know, oddly, what uh, Carlos and I have gotten really into watching French um series is of one sort or another mm -hmm, uh, call, mm -hmm. call my agent i hear I that just, i just oh. inhaled it right i mean have, I, you, have I, you ever run across a french village have you found that yet i have not a french village it starts at the beginning of world war ii and it follows this uh uh doctor uh who's in uh sort of uh, vichy france and uh and and it goes after the war and then a generation beyond that mm. and i was completely uh, obsessed with it a french yeah. village cool it sounds neat i well, feel like i'm gonna ask you a question about call my agent yes i understand that there are a lot of um appearances by actual celebrities doing spoofs on themselves uh-huh and I know that you're the ultimate sophisticate, but will a normal person be able to catch all those references? Oh, sure. Well, not all of them. I mean, there's, there are a bunch of ultimate sophisticate, by the way. I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> if that's real. I, uh, the, but but the, um, the, the, the big stars you'll recognize, right? Um, the, the ones who are lesser or who are big stars in, in France, but not necessarily here, you get what they're doing pretty quickly. I mean, what the personality traits are that they're giving you. And what you care about in that show is the people at the agency, so that it doesn't really matter. The, the stars come in and you think, oh my God, there's Catherine Deneuve, right? Mm -hmm. It's wow. like, whoa. And, and then, or Julia Pinoche, and what's she doing there? I mean, what, you know, the, the people want to act with these folks. You saw uh, Stillwater the other day, right? Yes. Because the actress in that, please forgive me, I don't remember yes. her name, is the probably the biggest star in to come out of call my agent and she is spectacular in the show um and i just you know when i saw her in this other thing i thought oh wait she's not i mean i'm used to her as a certain type of character dealing with actors 
right? And and here she was, you know, dealing with Matt Damon. I guess it's the same sort of thing. I, you know, Sigourney Weaver shows up in Call wow. My Agent because she speaks French. Less Lou Katz is a does. huge fan of Call My Agent. Love it, producer. Love it. Okay, absolutely love the show. He's watching yeah. it now. <laughs> I have actually been. I will say I've, I've been to a couple of British shows, including the show uh -huh. Split. Uh -huh. uh, which is about a family of divorce lawyers, and I enjoyed that one. Oh, wait, have you seen, uh, what's it called, uh, Friday Night Dinner? No. It's a complete, it's so silly. It's, it's this comedy, it's got um, the, the guy with glasses from um, The Inbetweeners, um, I, uh -huh. I, don't remember his, I don't remember his name, and it, it's basically about a Jewish family, and they get together, I, I, the opening shot in every single episode for four seasons, is um, the the boys coming home, coming coming in the car, to and pulling into the driveway to go to dinner with their folks, and it's a Jewish family that's having Friday night dinner, and Dad almost never puts on a shirt because he's always hot, and Mom <laughs> trying to keep everything comfortable, and they've got a grandmother who's sort of randy and going, where is and this who's I, carrying I, I, this I'm, I'm assuming we saw it on netflix i, I can't oh i'm definitely know. gonna check that out that sounds great <laughs> oh my god it's split i mean just no no <laughs> split is the divorce no this is uh -huh. friday night dinner friday night dinner love it okay uh our dear friend jen cheney started a segment for this show and she's one of the regulars on it called flashbacks and favorites it's time for flashbacks and favorites i have two questions which i hope will unnerve you mm -hmm. I've, i tripped one of them to you well name a movie you didn't like that surprised everyone that you didn't like it i went through a whole period where every year the oscar went to a movie that i hated and that included yeah. Forrest gump uh, titanic but overall, <laughs> the one I hated the most was Million Dollar Baby. I, I mean, I hate that movie with the passion of a thousand sons. And that's all I'm going to say. You know, now you, you are increasingly, more, increasingly impressing me as a wise and wonderful woman. Um, I guess. <laughs> uh, I had that problem with Braveheart. And I, I have it, frankly, with almost anything that Mel Gibson is in. <laughs> especially the stuff that he does that's successful um but braveheart i just thought was deeply awful and yeah. i i could not for the life of me figure out why people liked it so much except that they were all blue i mean i just yeah you know, anyway. yeah i'm with you you know the one that got me was the gods must be crazy in fact i went to two or three screenings of it because everybody kept telling me oh you gotta love this movie the gods must be crazy well, it's a little but, racist Oh, yeah, it is. I, yeah. Again, I'm a, I'm a, I, I never I'm, got it. I'm a big fan of Coca-Cola, so it, it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was but my recollection of the of the plot is that a, a Coke bottle falls out right. of yeah. an airplane, yeah. and they think it's a, a gift from oh. God. Correct. Um, yeah, and, I, and because it's the only thing that they've ever come across, this very primitive tribe that is unique. All of a sudden, the issues of greed and jealousy appear for the first time in these simple happy lives of this just, very I racist film yeah never got it sorry uh, uh one last question uh i think we want to mark the passing of ron papil ah. who died a few days ago at the age of 86 and i am wondering 
if either of you ever bought anything from uh, Ronco <laughs> late at night, or at least tried one of their products. Popio's Pocket Fishermen. Men, women, youngsters can cast almost like experts the very first time. I think it would be hard not to have tried something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that Vegematic was what was oh, hit. Oh, wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wait. <laughs> there's not that much I more. I may have purchased one of those compilations of top 40 hits. We mm. got a can of hair in a can, and I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> Just spray on while holding a small hand mirror in front with a larger mirror behind you. Then brush after using the finishing shield, and you're done. Turned my hair a terrible shade of brown. Bob Mondello and uh, Nell Minow, thanks so much for being here. Nell at RogerEbert.com and Bob, of course, on NPR. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And any final words from anyone? Nine days. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I agree. Nine days. Nine days. And we'll see you in 14. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.